Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up in doing so. He said to them, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, saying, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what other people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge has said. And will not God bring about justice for the chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get their justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find such faith as her upon the earth? To some that were listening to Jesus, who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, the robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector who stood at a distance, who would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast, cried out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to himself anyway and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, if anyone does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, they will never enter it. And a certain ruler there among them asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God and God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And the ruler said, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, though. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have your treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. And those that heard Jesus Say this, asked, who then can be saved among us? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said to him, Lord, we have left all that we have to follow you. And he told them, truly, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of God's kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age 
to come eternal life. And that is the gospel reading for today, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me, please. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing, O oh Lord, in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. So let me briefly talk about why it's important for us to come to worship in the right attitude and the right spirit of mind on Sunday mornings. If you will, Sunday mornings are, are the time in which we are conditioning our souls and our hearts and minds for the rest of the week. And we gather to center them upon God and to be reminded of who we are so that when we go out into the world, we can shine the light of Christ with all that we, we do and see. So the attitude, the, the spirit in which we come is important and essential, not just for us in our own soul conditioning, but for the body of Christ, for one another, and for the witness that we give to the community as well. And you heard in Jesus' teaching some of those ways in which he says we should approach God, right? That's what we're doing on Sunday morning. Have you noticed? You sit in pews, you look up towards the front, there's a table up there, and a cross up on the wall, and it's, it's very representative of the, the temple in, in Jerusalem when it still existed, of God's altar at the front, and the people coming to, to bow down to God, to make requests, to enter into the presence of God. That's what we are doing when we gather on Sunday mornings for worship, and the spirit and the attitude Jesus pours out like this, you should be persistent at it, almost like a widow nagging a judge that will not give her justice by bringing your prayers to God again and again and again. Come with prayerful expectation into God's house for whatever it is that you need that is heavy upon your hearts, or what you face in the week to come. Isn't it easy to give up in prayer and think God's not listening, God's too busy, God's too big, and we're too small? Jesus says, no, come with hopeful expectation that God is going to provide, like I promised you, all that you need. Jesus says, come like, like little children. And you see the children on Sunday morning, they come bounding up the aisle, don't they, to where Sherry is? And they go running back there with, American flags to give out to our veterans. There's an enthusiasm, a very simplistic love and innocence about them that we as grown-up kids oftentimes lose, especially when it comes to being in church and worshiping God. Jesus said, don't lose that, that attitude, that innocence, that, that pure love is what's going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. There was a rich young ruler that, that Luke tells us about who had great wealth, he said. And he came and said, Jesus, what is it that I need to do to get into heaven, to find your kingdom? And Jesus sensed, and he knew what the man was getting at. And so he mentioned all the commandments that he knew the young Jewish ruler was keeping faithfully. And yet still there was something missing in the man's life in his relationship with God. And Jesus recognized it was his wealth, his money, 
And so he said to him, you must give it all away and give to the poor, and then you can come and follow me and truly worship. Jesus is saying, don't let any of the gods of the world get in the way of putting him above all things, making God our priority. Do we come with that expectation and that enthusiasm and that purity of love and with that that passion to put God above all things each and every Sunday when we gather for worship. Um, I think I put up a few slides of some of those things. There's the persistent widow. On to the next one, which is the crown of the kingdom for people that are like children. Then the last one, ah, that's what it was, the busted piggy bank, because the man allowed his wealth to be above all things. But then Jesus gets around to my last slide now, which is this parable about the tax collector and the Pharisee. And you know that Jesus had around him, following him during his three years of ministry, all kinds of people, right? He had some that were very faithful Jews and wanted to hear what the rabbi had to say. And yet Jesus seemed to just get under their skin and challenge them in ways that they never had been challenged before. They did much like Jesus. In fact, it ended up that they got so perturbed with him and the way that he was perverting what they thought was, was the, the religious law and the truth that they ended up crucifying him or having him crucified upon a cross. And then there were others that were following Jesus too. His, his 12 disciples that eventually he chose that were faithful and, and had the true spirit of what he was getting at or thought that they did in their hearts. And then there was a large following of the crowd. You know, the crowd. The people that really just didn't belong in church. They didn't go to synagogue or didn't go to the temple to make sacrifice. They were the non-religious people that Jesus still found time to hang around with and even ate with in their homes and even went and intervened with them in the marketplace, even traveled into the unknown places where the Samaritans, those outsiders, lived to go and deliver to them this message of salvation that he was getting ready to bring. Jesus had great appeal on a mass level and I wonder why that was. I think there was a real genuineness about Jesus, don't you? That, that the other religious establishment did not show to those that were non-religious. I think in this day and age, if you ask young folks why they're not in church, they will tell you it's because there's not a genuineness about who God is and about the people that are in church. We need to be mindful of that and thoughtful of that that there's a genuineness that Jesus had and brought great appeal to the world with that we need to reclaim and love people for where they are in life and for who they are. The expectation is to lead them to Jesus, and, and he changes them and cleans them up and transforms them, but we love them as he loved them, and even those that are outside of the religious establishment. Are you challenged by that? I'm challenged by that. And he uses this parable of this, this tax collector and the Pharisee 
And you've got to know that the tax collector was probably the worldliest, the, the worst in the mind of, of Jesus' religious friends, the most unholy and ungodly person of them all because they could write right off the top all they wanted to make from the taxes they collected on behalf of Rome. And so they were cheats, and, and they had a lot of riches about themselves. And Jesus ends up taking this man that is, is a heathen and turning him into the hero of the story. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he is taking the holy man, the Pharisee that lives faithfully and religiously according to the law, and he reminds us all through him that just because we come to worship and do our religious duty to God, we don't have everything all buttoned up and sewn up so tightly as we might like to think. Now, there's a reason for that, and there's a reason that Jesus tells this parable and that it's directed at us religious types, and I'm talking about me today and, and you too. And Luke explains what it is. Did you hear? As he was setting up this, this parable for us, Luke said, plain and simple, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down upon everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Have you ever found yourself before in either of those places where you have felt confident in your own righteousness or where you have looked down on others in order to make yourself feel better? My toes are already hurting in just preparing this sermon today because I find myself in both of those places. I have to be careful. You have to be careful. We can lose the entire spirit of what we are coming here on Sundays to do by placing our self-importance upon God's importance. To put ourselves and say that how we think and what we feel and what we want to do in life is more important than what God calls us to do is teetering upon making gods out of ourselves, and knocking God off the top of the pedestal. It's important for us not to feel too self-righteous about, about what we do, because when we do that, we puff ourselves up like this, this Pharisee. And we are so proud about what we do and what we have done. And in that, we can lose worship in the true spirit of what God desires from us. There's a, a sense of all of us that we somehow can save ourselves. We can do great deeds and, and God will be fine and just welcome us into heaven. The problem with that is it takes God out of the equation and we're putting all the pressure, all of the responsibility, and all of the weights of everything we do and how we live upon ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not all in favor of, of living a religious life because we're called to do that by Jesus. And yet, at the same time, we need to be very, very careful not to build ourselves up in such a way that we, we look down upon others or that we knock God off the top of the stack of the most important things in life. Did you hear the prayer, the proud prayer of the Pharisee? I mean, you talk about an end zone celebration in church. This guy would be doing all kinds of dances and things with this kind of prayer that he prayed right there before God and everyone else in the temple. It was as if he was running down front to get a high five from God for the great life that he was living. 
He had it all together. He followed all the rules of the Old Testament. And he was just absolutely sure that God was down there to celebrate him, not for him to go and be there to celebrate God. That's the problem, isn't it, that, that we faithfully live and easily can lose sight of what it is that we're called to do, and that is to worship the one true God in spirit and in truth. Jesus said elsewhere that the time is coming. No, it is now come that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the truth, of course, is, is the promises of Scripture, our, our Bible, our, our basis for understanding who God is and our purpose in being here in life. The spirit is the spirit in which Jesus is talking about here in Luke 18. One of humility and humbleness, and one of childlike wonderment and amazement at God. One that comes hungry and, and, and just begging God to save us of our sins and to give us a new lease on life and to point us in the direction that leads to life and to bring his kingdom to rule on earth as it is in heaven. The true worshipers are those who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we need to hear that today. We need to hear that today. You know, the, the problem with church, and, and I'm all in favor of the church, mind you, because I'm called and I make my life in it. But the problem with church is that it very easily can turn into a compare fest. Do you know what I'm saying? It's easy for us to base our merit and our value and our purpose and meaning on, on a comparison with others. And if you ever before have found yourself thinking, well, at least I didn't mess up as bad as that person did, or if we ever talk down about others and gossip about others in order to make ourselves feel better, we're, we're in serious, serious red zone territory of offending God and not coming in the true right purpose and spirit of truth. Do you remember that one time? And it was, it was probably the, the best example I can think of of the, the wrong spirit of God's people being lived out. And it was when there was a woman that was caught in the act of, of adultery. She was wrong times five, Jesus pointed out. She had done the wrong thing. And there was a, a group of, of men gathered around that were faithful Jewish men, and they, they all were ready to met out the law of God from the Old Testament, wrath of God stuff upon her to pick up the stones and, and stone her, leading to possibly, most likely, death. And Jesus breaks in. Do you remember this story? Jesus breaks in. And he says, <clears throat> pardon me, but those of you gathered here with stones in your hand, those of you who have no sin, you're, you're permitted. Go ahead and cast the stone. And none of them threw a stone, a single one, at the woman because they realized in a moment of clarity and of humility that all of us are standing in the need of God's grace, not to permit what is wrong and what God's truth tells us, but to 
interact and interrelate to one another in the spirit of true love and humility and understanding and to go out into the world to those that may not be like us and to be conformed in the spirit of God to go and love them as well. This is some toe-stepping material Jesus lays out for us. And how is it that we come to church on Sunday morning? In what spirit? Is it the true spirit of God that Jesus lays out here? I want us to be challenged by that today. I am. And I want us to pray and ask God to help us all to, to come to this place and to do that very thing as the center point of our week because it forms and shapes who we are as his people.